We're going to go ahead and, uh, and get into a new sermon series this, uh, this week. You guys excited about that? It's called, it's called Little Foxes. You know, there's a, there's a verse uh, in the book of Song of Solomon, verse 215, and it says, you got to catch the little foxes that spoil the vine. You got to catch the little foxes that spoil the vine. So I want to I talk about that specifically, but I, I'm kind of going to preach several different messages and it's going to deal with our relationships. It's going to deal with our relationship with God. It's going to deal with our relationships uh, with one another in the church. It's going to deal with our relationships in our, in our marriages and, and even you know, in all kinds of different relationships, how these little foxes come in and spoil the vine. And, 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 and we want to deal with those issues specifically. So you guys, you guys excited about that this morning? Sometimes, sometimes that stuff will get in there and it'll mess with you a little bit, but it's fun uh, to go through. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'm going to read um, that same verse, Song of Solomon, verse, chapter 2, verse 15, out of the Passion Translation. We'll read that and then we'll pray together and we'll get into it. Amen? Amen. So, uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. Now, this, this specific message today is going to be... Uh, called Blood Brothers. It's going to be a little story about Cain and Abel if you've not heard it before. And we'll break down some little foxes that got into Cain's life and, and destroyed uh, what God wanted to do with him. So in Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 15, in the Passion Translation, it says it like this. It says, You must catch the troubling foxes, those sly little foxes that hinder our relationship. For they raid our budding vineyard of love to ruin what I've planted within you. Will you catch them and remove them for me? We will do it together. Let's pray together real quick. Father, we're just grateful for your presence and for your word. And God, we love you and we love your word. And Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come right now. And, and Lord, just, just anoint your word. Bring life, breathe life on it, God. And let it, Lord, just penetrate our hearts and our souls because every single one of us, God, we're dealing with different things. And, and Father, there are strategies that the enemy has set for us. There's traps that have been laid, no doubt about it, God. But you always have a way of escape, Lord Jesus. You always have a word of encouragement. God, you always have a word of wisdom. And so I pray that by the power of your spirit, God, we would have a word to each specific heart, each specific situation in every individual's life this morning, God, that you would show us that way of escape, God, that you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us by your word, that we would be transformed by it, God, and it would result in worship and glory in your name, Lord. And we, we, we honor you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to talk about the little foxes, talk about Cain and Abel, but see, this, this verse of scripture that I read, it talks about these foxes that get into our vineyard, so to speak. It gets into the garden of our hearts and tries to spoil the fruit of the Holy Spirit from grow growing in our lives. And these are kind of the little compromises that we slowly allow into our lives. Here's the thing that I've noticed, especially after pastoring for a little while, is that nobody really just takes a dive off the deep end day one. I don't know if you've realized that or not, but most good Christian people who are following the Lord and doing really well, they don't just go out and murder somebody the next day after a good Sunday. You know what I'm saying? There's something, there's a slow fade. There's something that begins to creep into their hearts slowly but surely. And that's why in this verse of Scripture, he doesn't say, hey, you need to watch out for the big enormous monsters that are lurking in the closet. No, he doesn't say that. He says, you need to watch out for the little foxes, those things that really at the end of the day, you probably wouldn't pay much attention to. You'd say, well, that's just a little fox. It's, it's not going to do anything. It's not going to cause any damage. It's just a little baby fox. It's harmless. Those things are not. Uh, matter of fact, if you look at them, they even look cute and sweet and cuddly. Amen. And, and he's saying those are the things that you actually need to pay the attention to the most because those things that start out out very small can grow up to become something very dangerous. Now I want you to understand that Satan actually knows this better than anybody because it can work in the opposite as well. I believe that Satan, whenever he saw the seed that was going to be planted in Jesus Christ coming to the earth, what did he want to do? And what did he want to do throughout history? We talked about this over Christmas. He wanted to stop the thing while it was still just an infant baby. 
He's after children. He's after babies because he knows that their potential when they are full grown will end up destroying his kingdom. Amen. So he comes after things in their infancy stage so that he can get them while they are small because if Christ were to be grown in you and you become your full potential, he knows that you're going to end up destroying him. Now, if we, if we work in the opposite way, when Satan comes to plant those little seeds that we think are not that big of a deal and we snuff them out before they become fully mature and we deal with those little foxes in our vineyard, well, then we're going to plant and grow a vineyard that produces a lot of the fruit of the Holy Spirit and we're going to see God. God's kingdom at work in our lives, in our families, in our ministries, and all of these things because we snuff out those little foxes. You say amen to that with me. We got to catch those little foxes. So let me, let me give you a story. We're going to go through a few different stories over the next few weeks, but, but this is a very important story right out of the gate in Scripture. Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel. I really like this story for some reason, even though it's a, it's a violent story. But uh, let, let's read several verses. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 through 15. It says, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. And now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. So that's a pretty sad story right out of the gate, isn't it? Say amen. That's a, that's a good story this morning, Pastor. That's encouraging. One brother killed another. Matter of fact, it was the first set of brothers in human history. And uh, man, it doesn't sound like things are going to get better from here on out after that. Here's the thing that I want you to notice is that in this passage, you're, you got some pretty bleak set of circumstances. You're left with the blood of his brother, of Cain's brother Abel, crying to the Lord from the ground. You're dealing with a funeral, but see this, this, this thing that ends in crime, it ends in pain, it ends in tragedy, it ends in grief, it ends in the first family being fractured. Notice where it started. I'm going to say it like this. It actually started in the place of worship. It actually started in church. It started when they were bringing an offering to the Lord in the place of worship. And that is where it all began. And see, this is not really a story. Most people say, well, this is a story about how y'all love one another. And, 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 and there's those elements in it. But really, more than anything, this story is about what happens when people live a life of unchecked spirituality and their worship goes unchecked and they don't know how to learn, learn to worship God properly. Because I want you to understand this all of your relationships that are messed up on a horizontal level whether it be your marriage relationship or your relationships with your families or your relationships with people in church the reason they are in trouble is because of your vertical relationship with God amen it is, it is our worship. And so even when we talk about worship, man, we love worship here. And we believe that singing, singing songs to God and playing music to God on Sunday mornings is one expression of worship. But do you realize that is not the totality of your worship? Because worship is something that happens in your heart on a daily basis. You don't just say, well, we're going to worship this Sunday morning. No, you're going to, to, to participate in one expression of worship because your life is supposed to be an offering of worship to God. Amen. 
So we want to sing and we want to praise and we want to worship God. But if that is the only form of worship that is happening in your life, you're missing the full point of what worship actually is. What happens in our lives, how we treat one another ends up being a result of how we worship God and what that worship looks like in our lives. And so it's our relationship with God that is that is the most important. And it's, it's, it's interesting to me that the very first murder took place over worship styles. Somebody ain't me on that, right? Y'all know, yeah, because yeah, that's a big thing today, right? You, you worship a certain way. I remember I've, I've pastored a church before, man, and we about split the entire thing because on the back end of some hymns, we started singing some newer updated songs. You know what I'm saying? Like the ones that didn't come out of the red, red back book hymnal. And we started, and it about split the church. I'm not kidding you, just because we added some new songs in. And, and when you have different worship styles, man, people get upset and they get judgmental and they get critical. And at the end of the day, let me tell you something, ex worship, there is, a, there is a very important way that it should be done. God has prescribed to us an, an important way that it should be done. But when we talk about the songs that we sing and all this different stuff, really at the end of the day, that's not what matters. What matters is what's going on in the human heart when that offering is coming up before the Lord. And so often I think that what we do even in church is, because we might even say this, you can, be, you can be a church like us and you can say, well, you know, we're kind of one of them cool churches. We don't sing hymns on that. We ain't got red bag hymnals and more of that. But you know, you can come in here with new songs and it sound awesome and your heart still be empty when you sing the songs. And you can go to an old school church where they're just singing hymns and their heart can be full of the spirit of God and the power of God can be rocking that place. Somebody amen me. So it's got nothing to do with the outward expression. It's got to do with what's going on in the heart. There are different preferences and you know what? Praise God for different preferences. But if that brings division into our life, then we are probably not worshiping the same God. A lot of people's gods are actually their religion, their, their structures, their rituals, the, the, the way they do it and how they do it. And that becomes a God to them. It's their traditions. And it begins to hinder the move of God in their own hearts. And I believe what happened, and this is first in your notes, see, when they approached worship of God, they approached it differently. And for Cain, number one in your notes, it was just a religious obligation. It was just a religious obligation. Y'all ever had any religious obligations? You just, ah, buddy, I got to go to, it's Sunday again. Some of y'all did that this morning, I'm sure, you know. You just wake up and be like, ah, it's Sunday. I'd like to stay at home. But, you know, but it's your obligation. What are you going to do? You've got an obligation to fulfill. I've got to serve. I've got to go to church. I'm a Christian. I've got to go to church on Sunday. It's my religious obligation. And let me tell you something. Religious obligation is a little fox that can, can honestly become one of the greatest uh, defects in your spirituality. Because you don't realize it. You think as a Christian, when you're fulfilling your religious obligation and you're, and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing as a Christian, week after week after week, Jesus said it like this. He said, if the light that is in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? What he was saying is that we can actually do spiritual things and call it light. But if it's not done from the right heart motive, then it's even far more darker because we think we're doing the right things. Does that make sense? I go to church week after week after week and I say, well, man, God must love me because I keep going to church. But if your heart is not in it, then you are deceiving yourself because you're missing the whole point of why you go to church in the first place. It's to fall in love with God, to serve God, to get to know him more, to be filled with his spirit, to be used to minister the gospel to the world around you, to fall in love with your brothers and sisters and extend that love to them and to understand and know God who is love and spread that to one another. And if we're just doing it as a religious obligation, I got my other stuff going on, but this is just a part of it. It begins to infect our spirituality. And we wonder, we wonder how come we're not fulfilled in God. We wonder why is it I'm still seeking something? Why is it I'm still hungry for something? And it's this religious obligation. And so you have to take an evaluation of your life from time to time. I have to take an evaluation of my life from time to time and say, is this what, what, what ha is church becoming a burden? 
Is spirituality becoming a burden? Is it a burden every time they ask me to do something else? Every time I'm asked to serve or to pray or to do something like this, is it becoming a burden? If it's becoming a burden to you, you need to ask yourself, what is going on in my relationship with God? Why is this be becoming a difficult thing? Because Jesus Christ has called me to deny myself and to follow him and, and, and to be serving and, and, and to lay down my life the same way that he laid down his life. So it, it's becoming a burden. And just like Jeremy said, if slowly I realize that I've got no spiritual passion, I've got no passion to pray, I'm not sharing the gospel with anybody in my life. I could care less if anybody were to get saved today. Matter of fact, I never even lift up a word of prayer that God would save somebody then something is going on and most likely I am just fulfilling a religious obligation. Somebody say, amen, this is good this morning. Y'all, you making me feel good this morning, Pastor. This is awesome. Praise God. Hebrews 11:4. see, you say, well, I don't really even see that in the scripture. Well, besides the fact that God did not accept Cain's offering, we can go to the New Testament to find out more. The New Testament always, they say it like this, right? They say that, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, but the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So in the Old Testament, if I don't know all the, the ins and outs to the story, the New Testament will reveal a lot more to me. So in Hebrews 11, 4, it says, By faith, notice, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. And see, you see this theme throughout Scripture. There's this theme throughout Scripture of the blood. The blood is against the power of the enemy. You remember whenever uh, God was delivering the people of Israel from, from Egypt, from their slavery and from their bondage and from, from, from all of the torment that they experienced, what was it that brought the deliverance? It was the blood of the lamb that was applied to the doorposts that instituted their deliverance. In the book of Leviticus, God said that their, the life uh, is in the blood. Without the shedding of the blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. You see this theme throughout Scripture. And even in the very beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned against God and they hid from God and they were, because of their sins, they, were, they, they realized that they were naked and they were ashamed, they separated themselves from the presence of God. What did they do? They covered themselves with an outward religious garment, with fig leaves, but God comes and sacrifices an animal, applying the blood to their lives. And see, here you see a difference between Cain and Abel. Cain was a tiller of the ground. He, he was growing crops. He had cabbage. He had all this nice stuff that he was growing. And it says that Abel, though, he was a keeper of the sheep. So what Cain offers is the works of his own hands, but Abel comes and offers the blood of the firstborn of his flock. You see the difference there? And it's a picture between two different, it's a picture between two different forms of religion. One religion says, hey God, I tell you what I'm going to do. In order for me to be in right relationship with you, I'm going to offer you all my good works and I'm going to show you how awesome I am. And I'm going to do as many good things as I can. And here's the problem in our generation with this stuff is that most people, everybody wants to go to heaven. And if you ask them why they will go to heaven, a lot of people who don't understand the gospel and don't know the Lord, they just assume, well, I'm not really that bad of a person. I mean, you know, well, then who deserves to go to hell? They'll say, well, Hitler, of course, he deserves to go. But I mean, is that really the standard that we live by now? Right. Is that, is that the standard? So nobody can bring their good works or their good deeds to God and say, God, I deserve to go to heaven. The Bible says that all have, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every mouth is stopped before God. There is no one who can bring their good works and say, God, I've been a good person. I deserve eternal life. I deserve right relationship with you. But see, Cain comes as if sin is not an issue. I've not been a bad person, God. So here's this offering. It's awesome. You're glad I'm in. You should be glad I'm in church today. And I think some people come to church with that same attitude. Man, I'm a good person. You know what? Y'all should be glad I'm here at church today. I'll, you know, don't tell me to raise my hand. I'll raise my hand if I want to. I prescribe how I worship. Y'all ever had people with attitudes like that? I've actually even heard people say that. I don't like that pastor telling people to lift their hands. Huh. I'm thinking, well, I mean, all he's doing is asking you to lift your hands. It's just a biblical prescription. I mean, what are you so upset about? Why is your countenance falling, bro? What are you upset about? I mean, it's not, it's not that big of a deal, you know what I'm saying? Why, what are you mad about? I've literally heard people get mad over that. 
I'm thinking it's, it's really not that big of a deal. But, you know, these people are the type of people, they come in with a lot of pride and they say, well, this is, this, it's my prescription. I get to choose how I work. I get to decide how all this happens. And I'm not listening to anybody else. And, and that's not my way. So Cain comes in basically saying, look, it's all about me. I got this thing figured out. And he comes in and says, look, look how awesome I am, God. Here's, here's my offering. But Abel, on the other hand, he offers an offering where he realizes it's not about him. He realizes I have nothing good to offer you except the blood of the lamb. That's the one offering that I can bring you. That's the one offering that I can say, God, it's not about me. I have no strength. I have no power. I have nothing, but I offer you this. And see, when we come and we begin to sing, we realize that in and of ourselves, we have nothing to offer God. The only thing that God wants is your worship and your praise and a heart full of faith that says, God, I've got nothing to offer. But what I offer you this morning is the same offering that you gave me. That's the blood of your son 2000 years ago. And I worship you because when I was lost, and dead in sin and had no power and no strength. You came after me and you shed the blood of your righteous son so that I could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that's what I give you the thanks for. That's what I give you the praise for this morning. That's the offering that Abel begins to offer. And so we got to understand, see, that he did it in faith and Cain did not. What is the opposite of faith? The opposite of faith, I believe, is self. Faith says, Lord, thy will be done. Self says, my will be done, right? Pride says, my will be done. And it's this difference between these two things. And, and here's the other thing. You know, Cain is just going through the motions. But let me ask you this question. Have you ever seen anybody that just goes through the motions of life and is a happy individual? No. They're always, anybody who's just going through the motions are always miserable because you find peace and you find satisfaction and you find joy when you are finally willing to learn and understand that joy and peace and love and all of these things come from learning to lay down my life and serve others. That's when true peace, that's where true joy comes. And life is ultimately about sacrifices. It's about the sacrifices that we offer. Throughout the Old Testament, you see sacrifices. Jesus was the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And then he says, now you come and you offer your sacrifice of praise. You come and you offer your sacrifice of worship. But sacrifice is about what can I lay down in order to receive the best possible good? What can I give up? And every, everybody, like this morning even, in some, in, to some measure, when you serve God, you make a sacrifice of time. You make a sacrifice of money. You make these different sacrifices because you believe you're doing something for the greater good and you're doing it for God. But I want you to understand something. Cain, his name, his name means acquired because, you know, God had given this prophecy uh, to, to Adam and Eve. And he had said that whenever, whenever she was the, the woman was going to have a son, essentially, and this son was going to crush the head of the serpent. So Eve has this boy, Cain, and she believes that this is probably the man that is going to crush the head of the serpent. So when she has Cain, she gives him the name Cain, and it can literally mean, here he is. This is the one. This is the one. He's going to crush the head of the serpent. So she was excited. And then she has Abel, and she names him Abel, and his name can mean breath or vapor. It can mean worthless or nothing. So one, Cain was this guy who thought he had it all together. He, he, was, the, he, he was the one, the chosen one. Y'all ever known somebody that just thought they were the chosen one? Somebody did, ain't it? <laughs> I got a feeling there's some chosen ones right in here. And, 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 but and there are people, I think sometimes we treat our children like they're the chosen ones. Your, let me tell you something, your children are just like anybody else. They ain't the chosen ones either. They need Jesus. You can't treat them like they're God because they're not. And as soon as you do, not only do you destroy them, you think you're doing something good for them, you're actually hurting them. They need to depend on Jesus. They need to repent of their sins no matter how young they are. They're not the chosen one. Jesus is the chosen one. See, but Cain got that pride, that attitude in his spirit. He got haughty, he got lifted up. And Abel comes as a young man. He says, but I, I realize I'm worthless I realize I'm nothing and I'm not, I'm not trying to say that you need to stay in a position of shame, but I'm saying sometimes it's a good place to be in a humble, broken position where you realize at the end of the day, I've got nothing if I don't have God. 
And God, I'm going to come and I'm going to bring you an offering. And see, here's the thing. The man that was humble enough to recognize that he was nothing and that he came to God with an offering and worship, he's the man that God actually accepts and blesses and puts favor on his life. And let me tell you something. It's not the person who has all the gifting or has everything that's awesome and, and has all the money and all the... It's not that person that God is showing favor and blessing to. It's the person who finally realizes, God, I've got nothing if I don't have you, but I'm going to offer you an offering of my life and my worship and my devotion. And God says, I will accept that and I will accept your faith in Christ and I will release my favor and my blessing upon your life because you realize that it's not about you, but it's about me. And see, God is not a respecter of persons. You realize that. He's not a respecter of persons, but he is a respecter of the offering. So you can't be getting jealous at other people who it seems like the favor of God is on their life or something's going good for them whenever God is blessing them and favoring them and you see this favor on their life. Don't be getting mad at them. They've just understood and realized that it's not about them. It's about the offering that they bring, right? It's about that offering. And so that's, that's, that's what he comes down to. Now notice this. In verse, in verse 4, chapter 4, verse 4, you'll notice even kind of the timing of their offering matters. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And so the first, he, he brought the first and the best. The first time his sheep had babies, he grabbed the fattest for ones and then brought them to God and says, this is God's. And that's actually how the tithe begins. You know, the tithe means 10%, right? And, and, and throughout the Old Testament, we teach, they teach about the tithe. It's the first 10% that comes. Now, Cain does something different because in verse three, it says about Cain this, and in the process of time, literally in the Hebrew, it reads at the end of the season. At the end of the season, Cain brought his offering. In other words, notice, Abel has some sheep before he knows he's going to have any more. He don't know if it's going to last him the rest of the year or not. He takes the very first one, doesn't even know if there's going to be any sheep left over for him, comes and brings it and offers it to God as an act of faith. Cain has no faith, and so he has all, he grows all of his crops, he eats all of his crops, and at the end of the season he says, well, I've got some left over, now I'll take that to God. You see the difference between those two things? Let me tell you something. God is not interested in an act of no faith that is just your leftovers. Everybody can offer leftovers. That's why the tithe itself or giving is an act of faith. Somebody said, well, you know, the tithe isn't in the New Testament. Well, guess what? In the New Testament, everybody went and sold their houses and all their possessions and laid it at the apostles' feet. So if you want to do that, go for that. But the biblical principle of the tithe, 10%, is that God is saying, look, if you want, if you want to prove that money is not your God, why don't you give me the first 10% right off the top? I think that's a pretty simple uh, give. I mean, I've, I've been doing it for, since I became a Christian because you see, you see this, the, the biblical principle from the beginning of the end. Now, it's not the same. It's not, it's not an Old Testament law that we're under. It's a grace principle that says, you know what, God, I'm going to honor you with my first fruits. And it's not just about money. It's about your time. It's about your family. It's about how you spend everything that's in your life, your treasures, your talents, everything that's in your life. You're giving God the first fruits before you know if you're going to have any left over or not because you're saying, God, I'm honoring you. And you know what scripture says? Put, put Proverbs up there, Proverbs chapter 3. It says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. Next verse. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. What's he saying? He's saying when you, when you bring your very best, the first to me, even when we come in here and we do sing songs, why don't we just go ahead and bring our very best to God? Why don't we bring everything and say, you know what, Lord, I'm not coming in here lazy this morning. I'm not coming in here not feeling that. I'm going to honor you with the very first fruits of my heart. I'm going to honor you with the very, and when I get up in the morning, I'm going to honor you with my energy. I'm going to honor you with my day. I'm going to give you my time, and I'm going to honor you with those first fruits. See, we, God is not interested in our leftovers at the end of the day. He's not interested in that religious obligation. He wants to see our whole heart given to him. Amen? 
See, we get in that religious obligation, that religious routine, just like Cain does. And here's the second thing. Here's the second little fox that happens in Cain's heart after religious obligation. And that is jealous frustration. Jealous frustration. You ever been frustrated? Nobody in here ever been frustrated. Yeah, Lord, yeah. And I'll say this. When you start finding yourself routinely upset, routinely upset, there's a little fox that is creeping into your heart and you need to start watching that. Why, why are you angry? Why are you so upset? Why are you so frustrated? Begin to ask yourself these questions. But then see, sometimes it even goes to another level. It leads from one level of frustration to something called jealous frustration. That is, jealousy is when I start to resent other people because they may have a little bit more success than me. Maybe they got a little bit more money than me. Maybe they have a friendship that I don't have. Maybe they seem to have some, something just a little bit better than what I've got. And I start to just have a little bit of resentment in my heart toward these person. Maybe they said something to me that offended me and, and, and they just seem happy, but I'm not happy. And, and then I start to get a little bit bitter and frustrated. And in Cain's case, he's actually bitter and frustrated because he's accepted by the Lord and God's favor and blessing is on Abel, his brother, and it's not on him. And rather than actually changing his behavior and his attitude, he just decides to get mad at somebody else. And listen, throughout the world, we got people who are choosing to live against God's ways and then they're mad at other people who are blessed living for God. And they say, what are you mad at? And God's asking him the same question. Why are you so upset? Have you ever, have you ever been jealous? Now, just be honest with you. Have you ever been jealous over somebody that's got a little bit more than you? Lord, yeah, you have. All that nasty stuff get up in your heart. It is jealousy of some of the nastiest stuff. And it happens in churches. And it starts to bring and creep in little divisions in churches and people backbiting and talking about one another in churches and all these little things start to creep in. And I love what it says. It says that Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. What does it look like when somebody's countenance falls? Like, like you'd be walking around like, like this right here and then all of a sudden. See, that's what happened to Cain. His countenance fell. That's what it looks like when you're counting. Have y'all ever seen somebody's countenance fall? You walk into a room and all of a sudden, you know, but you, you tell when somebody don't like you because they're just like over here in the corner and you walk into the room and they're like, I got, I got a little nephew. If you, when I, he, he don't like me at all. I look at him, he'll go. Rrr. He looked like, you know, a demon got a hold of him or something. I don't know what happened. He don't like me that much. But see, his countenance fell. And this begins to happen in his life. And, and, and Cain wanted what Abel, his brother, had, but he was not willing to be himself. Notice what verse 6 says. It says, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, verse 7, will you not be accepted? If you do well, will you not be accepted? God is saying, Look, you can, you can have exactly what your brother is having. All you have to do is, is, is walk with me the way that it's prescribed, is live for me the way that it's prescribed, is learn to worship me and not live this selfish life that's so self-centered, Came, Why are you so upset? And God's even reaching out to him, trying to talk to him, trying to deal with his heart, trying to minister to him and bring him into this position. But the truth of the matter is, is sometimes when people are rooted in their own pride and selfishness, not even God can change their hearts. They will resist even the voice of God. And here's the thing. People want God to add everything on to them. They want God to bless them, but they don't necessarily want to live for him. People want to go to heaven when they die, but they don't necessarily want to follow and commit their lives to Jesus and give up their sin. People want to be blessed. They want to experience the favor of God, but they don't want to give God obedience. And it's such, a, it's such a struggle with people that because they, they want just a little bit. And it's, it's very popular even in the Christian church today. And you know, <laughs> the truth is, as, as a church, I, I'm a big believer in trying to make people feel as comfortable as possible. 
and you want people to come in and you want to be open and you want to be inclusive and you want to reach people. But, but, but there, there, there's something where we, we get caught up in that to the point where we never actually place the demand that God is placing on people's lives to say, look, you can't just be somebody who plays with Christianity. You at the end of the day have got to either decide to follow Jesus or not. And that's something that in the American church people don't want to talk about anymore. They just want you to, they, they want to make it to where you can play around with God your entire life and nobody ever be offended so we can have big crowds. And you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to be held accountable for what I preach and what I teach people. And, and, and I, want, I want big crowds. I want thousands of people to be worshiping the Lord. But I don't want it for the sake of big crowds. I want it because thousands of people are genuinely worshiping the Lord, have genuinely repented of their sins, and genuinely chosen to follow Jesus. Amen. That's what we want. That's what we want to see. We want true worship. And so if your face is falling, if your countenance is falling, if there's bitterness and envy in your heart and you're beginning to take shots at people who are walking with God and criticizing everyone, no matter what they do, then, then you got to take an evaluation of your heart. Y'all ever just been around people who are critical no matter what happens? They're just cynics. No matter what happens, that ain't good enough. That could have been better. And there's so, so many people I talk to that I promise you they will not come to church. They don't want to come to church. They, they're just, they're just, and they will find something wrong with every single church. Like, can I tell you something off the bat? Like every church is going to stink in some regard because it's full of people. And, 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 and when all you find is the negative aspects of it, that's not an indicator of how bad they stink. That's an indicator of how bad you stink. If you're the one that is always finding the negative, that's an issue in your heart. There are negatives in every church. There are many negatives in this church. Matter of fact, this probably would not be for everybody. Somebody amen me. Say, you know what, Clay, it's not for me. I'm not coming back tomorrow. I'm not coming back next week. Amen. You know, I mean, here's the thing. I know that you, 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 know you can't please everybody. Have y'all learned this? You're not going to be able to please everybody. You're not going to be able to make everybody happy. But the point of the matter is, is that you have an obligation. You have a responsibility as a Christian person to make sure you guard your heart and don't let those little foxes of constant criticism and always seeing the negative and always pointing out the flaws getting in your hearts because that is going to sow a seed in your heart that's going to cause you to be bitter, but it's going to spread to other people too. And you cannot allow that culture to become the culture of your church. That's why I love people like Jeremy Baker, son. That guy, you get around him, you know what he always sees? He sees the positive. He sees what God is doing, not what God isn't doing. He sees what, what potential there is, not what, how bad a problem this is. And, and, and I think sometimes when you get caught up in the potential and the goodness of God, all of a sudden, all the issues and the problems, they begin to get smaller and smaller. Look at 1 John chapter 3, really quick. Verse 11 through 16. Let's read through this together. It says, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Just flow right with me. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. The word, no, we missed that one. It's all right, though. The next verse in verse 16 says, says that we know this is love, that he laid down his life for us. We also ought to lay down our lives for, for, for the brethren, for one another. Amen? Verse 16. So notice what he says. He says, he who hates his brother is a murderer. He who hates his brother is a murderer. You say, well, Lord, no, I've never hated anybody in my life. But do you know the Greek word right there for hate actually means, in the Greek, it means to love less. To love less than what? To love less than what Christ has called you to love. And he is saying, if you really want to love your brothers and sisters, he says, you need to follow my example the same way that I laid down my life for you before really you ever did, even did any good. You ought to lay down your lives for one another. Now, I want you to be honest with yourself. Have you ever gotten to that point spiritually where you feel like, man, I'm, I'm ready to lay down my life for Travis Whitehead right down here on the front row? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like you start evaluating people, you know what I'm saying? Like, that, because the thing is, if we're honest with ourselves, we only love people who make our lives most convenient. 
If you give me what I need when I need it and you don't upset me any and you don't bother me and you don't cause me to be inconvenienced, then I love you, man. But if you inconvenience me and you aggravate me a little bit, maybe you got a little bit of a different attitude than, I, than I'm willing to deal with right now, I don't know if I love you or not because that's just going to be asking a little bit more than what I'm dealing with. This is a little bit more of an inconvenience than I'm willing. What is happening? He's saying that same kind of hatred that starts out and ends up, that starts out as a baby as just something, some kind of bitterness, but can actually ends up as a kind of hatred that is the same on the level of, of murder. You say, well, I ain't never killed nobody. I know you ain't. Praise God. Well, I don't know that. Some of y'all, you're looking pretty sketchy this morning. But you've got, you've got these things going on. Now, look at this. Look at this. He says this. He's talking about this. You know, and some people will even say, well, these, th these things start to take root in our hearts. Look, let's look at Proverbs chapter 26. I like how these, these flow together. It says, the words of a tailbearer are like tasty trifles and they go down into the inmost body. So a tailbearer is somebody who just, they, they talk about other people a lot. You know what I'm saying? It just sort of creeps in and, 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 and he's saying when they speak, it actually, it, it affects their inmost being. But not only that, when other people hear it, it affects their inmost being. It begins to get in their heart and defile them. Uh, the next verse, he says this, fervent lips with a wicked heart are like earthenware covered with silver dross. Next verse says, he who hates disguises it with his lips and lays up deceit within himself. Now, this is a very interesting verse because if you look at it, it says, he who hates disguises it. Now, this word disguises, is, it's, it probably should not be translated disguises. It's a word in the Hebrew language called nakar, and here's what it means. It means to scrutinize, examine with careful, critical attention, or to change the appearance of. In other words, when I get bitter or jealous or envious of someone else, what I will do is I'll find somebody else off to the side who's not with that person, and I will, with a very critical mouth and a critical tongue, I will examine them in great detail, expose all of their faults, change their appearance, and tear them down in order to boast myself up and make me feel better. But with my mouth, what I have done is I've done just what Cain did to his brother. I have verbally taken him out and slew him in front of my other brothers and sisters, and their blood is crying out from the ground because of the words you've spoken against them. Amen. Anybody, anybody get pierced yet? Oh. Jealous frustration begins to enter into our heart. And can I tell you this? In the church, I, I, what I've noticed, it's, it's a sad situation in the church when what you actually see is that there are mo there's as much division and as much offense and, and, and things like that in the church as there is in any other organization in the world. And people will actually even say this. People will say, well, you know, there's no, there's no hurt like church hurt. Why is that even a saying? Because if you, look, if we are the body of Christ, we should be able to get hurt and forgive and overlook it and move on. That's what Jesus did, isn't it? He got hurt. They, they beat his back. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They put nails in his hands. And as he's bleeding out on the verge of death, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You don't get the right as the body of Christ to say there's no hurt like church hurt because Jesus could have easily hung on the cross for you and said, you know what? There's no hurt like a nail in the hand. There's no pain like this. He could have said that easily. You can't make an excuse on why you're offended or why you're hurt or how somebody hurt you in the past and you're still wounded. No, you have the Spirit of God living on the inside of you and Jesus Christ wants to heal you from your hurt and teach you how to forgive so that you can exalt love as a supreme virtue in the world today. And if we don't learn how to forgive and reconcile our differences, look, there's going to be differences in the church. You're going to have arguments with people. People are going to hurt you. People are going to offend you. But that's not about what that's going to happen. What it matters is how you respond when it does happen. And that is the thing that has to take place, y'all. I know this is kind of like, it's kind of like I'm doing surgery and dissecting some things this morning. But I'm, if we could get that right as the church, if we could learn how to truly forgive and learn how to truly Walk with one another. I know, I know that people, I, it does hurt. There, maybe there is no church like church hurt. I mean, I went to church and they got, you know, I, half the place left one time. Like there's, I've been in some stuff too. I know what it feels like. 
All I'm saying is I don't have the right to stay angry about it. That's all I'm trying to say. I could have let that stuff kick keep me from pastoring. I could have let that stuff say, I could have said, well, you know what? It happened there. Now I shouldn't go to City of Hope. It'll probably happen there too. You, you can come up with all kinds of reasonings to stop loving people. You can come up with all kinds. And you, and you can come up with excuses about how you've been wounded. They're no good. Toss them out. Toss them out. This is good this morning, isn't it? I'm trying to take my time. You know, people, I notice, I notice relationally people get upset with each other a lot. And, and you hear this a lot as well. I hear this all the time. Well, the, this church is clicky or these churches are clicky. and That's clicky. That group's clicky. And a lot of times it's true. They're, the, 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 people are clicky, aren't they? Churches are clicky. Churches should do a better job about not being clicky and exclusive and they should be open to all people and all things. But let me tell you something. Whenever you in your heart, and I need you to understand this as well. You know, there are some people that I, just, I want a relationship with them, but I'm just never going to have a relationship with them. You know what I'm talking about? Like they just ain't going to have me in. Like, you know what I'd like? I like? I went, I went over and saw some guys the other day and I walked in into their midst and I was like, hey guys, what's up? You know what? They totally ignored me. I said, all right, good, good. We'll see you later. You know, some, some people just don't like me. It's all right. You know, I'm, I'm not that great of a guy at the end of the day, I guess, you know. But, but I, got, I got some different options. I could really get upset and say, man, well, these guys don't like me. I can go home and cry about it or I can just embrace it. Now, here, and here's the, thing that you, here's the thing that you have to understand as well in church is like at the end of the day, the church is not a social club. Do you realize that? That means that as, as a pastor, my job is not to make sure that you're the happiest individual and all your needs are catered to. My job as a pastor is to make sure that you are equipped for the ministry that God has called you to. That means that I don't have to be your best friend. I just have to love you. I know. Amen. Now, Jesus, Jesus, for example, I'm going to take my sweet time this morning, y'all. Y'all just, y'all buckle up. Just go take it and just buckle in for a minute. Because I felt like flying through a bunch of stuff and now I just realize I'm not. I'm not going to fly through it. So Jesus himself, because we're just dealing with some pastoral things. Uh, so Jesus himself, it would be easy to say, man, that dude is clicky. Because even the guys, his disciples were like, you know what? Who's going to get a set at his right hand whenever he comes into glory in his kingdom? Who's going to get to do that? And they were all fighting. Why? Because they wanted to be the closest to Jesus and all this. And Jesus said, look, it ain't in my hands who gets a set in that seat. He said, you're missing the point. You want to be great in the kingdom? You need to take the lowest spot. You need to defer to one another. You need to look at your brother or sister as better than yourself. And he, and he dealt with all that. But Jesus, sometimes Jesus was very clicky if you want to really look at it because there were people who wanted to follow him. And he said, no, go home, tell people about it. So you can't follow me. And then he had 70 disciples, but among those 70 disciples, he just had 12. And within those 12 he actually just had three that would go into the inner spots with him. And I bet Judas is over like, golly, boy, that Jesus is clicky, man. I can't get in there close with him. He won't, you know what I'm saying? He, he had relationships that were, do you know by nature, some people just have relationships that are closer than others? The question is, is that okay with you? Like, are you, are you going to get jealous and bitter about that? Like I said, I could, get, I could have got jealous and bitter about these dudes who've got this relationship and I'm trying to hang out with them, talk to them. And, but no, you don't understand what I'm talking about. Amen. This is good, y'all. This is really good for your heart. It really is. Because, because if you can get to the place where, you're, where you love people regardless, where you love, I love those people regardless, even if they reject me, even if they don't accept me, I love them regardless because I'm not worried about that type of thing. That's not, my identity is not rooted in those relationships or, or how accepted I feel or how rejected I feel or anything like that. I'm not going to enter into that jealous frustration and I definitely ain't going to talk negative about them just because they don't do what I want them to do. Somebody amen me. And number three, that leads to a wicked action. 
So you got religious obligation that leads to jealous frustration and ultimately that little fox that you didn't nip in the bud all of a sudden ends up in a wicked action. And oftentimes we just don't realize it before it's too late. We say, well, you know what? It's just a, it's just a little bit of pornography. It's not that big of a deal. It's just a little bit of alcohol. We just drink on occasion. It ain't that big of a deal. It's just a little bit of cheating here and there. It's not that big a deal. It's just a little bit of Snapchat. It ain't that big a deal. And you let all all these little things come into your life until slowly but surely it is getting a hold of you in a way that you should not allow it to be getting a hold of you. And he, he look, the problem with Cain is he should have seen it coming because God spoke to him about it in advance. In verse 7, here's what God says to Cain. He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Sin lies at the door. In the Hebrew language, it's really like he's crouching like a cat. You know, y'all, my cat, before it passed away, rest in peace, Loki. Before it passed away, that thing would kill squirrels all the time. And, and you, and you, oh man. And you would notice, I would watch this cat, and you know, it would, it would just do this right here. And I'd be like, well, what's that cat doing? And then all of a sudden, I'd see a little squirrel pop out. And that, and that, little, and that little squirrel, that little squirrel would start just, fiddling around, moving its stuff, and the cat would wait, man. If it had to, it would wait 45 minutes just for the squirrel to realize, oh, it's not that big a deal. It's barely moving. It's, barely, it's not doing anything. It's just sitting there crouched low. It's barely moving. Uh, I can get closer. And then all of a sudden, boom, it pounces and gets the squirrel and kills it and puts it on my porch and looks at me like this. <laughs> That's what sin does to us, folks. That's what the Bible is trying to teach. That's the first mention of sin in the Bible. And, that's it. And, the, and it's saying this is what sin is like. It crouches over there until you think it's not that big of a deal. And it's waiting on you and it's desires for you. And you start playing with it until you get too close. And just when you get too close to it, it pounces on you and brings a death blow into your life. And you just sit there and played with it. Just sit there and play with it. Sin lies at the door. It's just a little thing. It's not that big of a deal. That gossip is not that big of a deal. That anger's not that big of a deal. Just flirting with that person's just not that bad. It's not that big of a deal. No. You better watch out because in James 1.15 it says when that sin, once it's conceived, once it begets full grown, it, it will rise up and it will murder you once it is full grown, and that's what happens. But here's the good news to this message, and I'm going to sum it up right here in point four, and that's God's gracious provision because through religious obligation, through jealous frustration, and through wicked actions, you still always see God's gracious provision in our lives and in the life of Cain. Now, here's the thing. In the midst of all this, notice how in every step, when you read through this story, God was saying... Look, Cain, I'll meet you here. And God asked him question after question after question. Why is God always asking questions? It ain't like he doesn't know what's going on. Why does he say, hey, Cain, why are you so angry, bro? Hey, Cain, why is your countenance fallen? Hey, Cain, where is your brother? God is asking question after question after question. Why do you think God asks so many questions? And I think it's because he is the wonderful counselor. When I counsel people, you know what I do a lot of times? I don't sit there and tell them what they need to be doing. I ask them question after question after question after question. Why? Because I want them to see and answer their own questions and find the resolution to what they're going through on their own, in, their, in their own self. And that's what God's trying to do. He's saying, Cain, consider why you're so angry. Why is it, honestly, that you're so angry? Why is your countenance falling? What's going on in your heart? See, you begin to do your own math. You begin to answer your own questions. And that's the same questions that I'd ask you. Why are you so angry today? Why, why, what's got you so upset? Why is your countenance falling? What's, what's been going on in your life that's become such a big issue? You see God graciously giving him every opportunity to turn. Now notice, let's, let's just read some here. We, we read verse 14 and we read verse... Uh, let's look at verse 15. It says, And the Lord said to Cain, after he, Cain, rises up, he takes his brother into a field, lures him into a field, he slays him. 
He says, where's your brother Abel? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? What you need to understand is that we are our brother's and our sister's keeper. We are to guard and protect and love one another. We are to keep one another. And he just proudly says that back to him. But God, he, become, he becomes a vagabond. And you know, spiritually, a lot of people become vagabonds. And that just means that they cannot. Have you ever just met somebody? They cannot get rooted anywhere. Spiritually, they're vagabonds. They can't get into a community. They'll be here, they'll go somewhere else, they'll be over there, they'll be over there, they'll be over there, be over there. And I, and, and I don't know, maybe there's something going on, but the truth is that Cain became a vagabond because relationally he had that bitterness in his heart. When people get offended, they get bitter, and they start living like that, they become spiritual vagabonds. Because everywhere they go, they can find no place where they feel accepted, where they feel loved. And really, at the end of the day, it's not because of the people that are around them, it's because of what's gotten in their own heart because they've not learned. You're always going to be around hurtful people and broken people and sometimes even mean people. Raven right here in the City of Hope Church. Bless God. But it says, And the Lord said to Cain, said to, to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. So God put a mark on Cain because... Cain was afraid. He said, Lord, if I go out here, somebody's going to kill me. And the Lord said, you know what, Cain? I'll still protect you because I still think there's an opportunity for you to repent and to turn. He says, so I'll, I'll protect you. And if anybody uh, slays Cain, he'll be avenged sevenfold. But here's what I want you to notice. And this is what's so interesting is that little foxes will become bigger foxes down your family line. There are foxes, parents, that if you don't deal with in your home now, it'll become bigger down your family line think it ain't true watch this verse 23 Cain's great 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 grandson Lamech it says then Lamech said to his wives Adah and Zillah hear my voice wives of Lamech listen to my speech for I've killed a man for wounding me even a young man for hurting me and verse 24 says this if Cain shall be avenged sevenfold then Lamech seventy-sevenfold he said, if Cain going to be avenged sevenfold, you know what? Somebody even touches me, I'll kill them. He said, I'll avenge them 77-fold. And this is why in the New Testament, you see Peter going to Jesus and saying, Lord, how, how much should we forgive when our brother offends us and hurts us? Up to seven times? What does Jesus respond? He said, up to 70 times seven. He is alluding to this very thing that Lamech said. He said, the same radical violence and vengeance that started in the garden whenever sin destroyed humanity, the same type of retribution and vengeance, that kind of 77-fold time, he said, you're going to have to radically forgive in that same measure. 77 times. 77-fold. He's saying, we got to reverse this, folks. we got to reverse vengeance. And this is why it says, I love this, Hebrews 12, 24, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Here's what you need to understand, that when that blood hit the ground in the beginning and Abel's blood cried up to the ground from the earth, and God heard that. That blood was crying out for vengeance. That blood was crying out for retribution. That blood was crying out for justice. But the same way Jesus came in as a better Abel, so to speak, and his brothers slew him the same way that Cain slew Abel. But his blood crying out from the cross cried out a different thing than vengeance and judgment and retribution. The blood of Christ began to cry out forgiveness. The blood of Christ began to cry out grace. The blood of Christ began to cry out redemption and healing and deliverance and freedom. And the blood of Jesus Christ is now crying out something far greater than the blood of Abel. And that's the blood that we've got to let cry out in our lives. We're not crying out for vengeance or condemnation or retribution anymore. We're crying grace because the blood of Jesus has brought these things to an end and is looking to reconcile you to the Father. And you've got to allow that to work in your life. You've got to allow that. And when that blood works in our life, man, we're able to forgive the same way that Jesus forgives. We're able to, to let go of jealous frustration and religious obligation and serve God with passion. And I promise you this, folks, when we talk about our relationships and letting little foxes in our relationships, when you do see Jesus face to face, there are going to be two main questions that I believe you're going to have to answer on Judgment Day. And that is, did I learn to love God with all my heart? And did I love others well? Those two things. If you can answer those two things well, 
Look, he don't care. He don't care if you preached a lot of good sermons. You won't have to answer for that. You will have to answer for it, but it will not be near as important. Clay, buddy, you did well. You preached some really good sermons. Come on in. It's not going to have anything to do with that. It's going to have to do with whether or not when I did preach these sermons, did I love you all enough to preach you the truth? Was it done from a pure motive of love? When we do what we do, is it because we love one another? Is it because we love God? Those are the t things that are going to matter more than anything. Amen. I want you to stand to your feet. bow your heads just for a moment so Lord we just come to you this this morning and we thank you for your word and God I just I just pray that this word even though it was challenging and even though God it it it, it sent forth I believe like a sword to, to to cut away a lot of the things that we've allowed to take root in our hearts but Lord I pray that you would just expose any little foxes that are coming in to spoil the vine that is in our heart, God, that's in our relationships, that's in our marriages, that's in our relationships in the church, Lord Jesus. Lord, the reason this word goes forth is, is God, because the same way that you went after Cain and you begin to ask him the questions, why are you angry? Why is your countenance falling? I believe, Holy Spirit, that you're able to speak right now to every heart and just minister to them. Say, why? where are you at? Why are you in the place you're in? Why are you feeling the way that you're feeling? What's going on? And Lord, I pray that you would just right now begin to deal with each person. God, that you would just draw us to yourself. And Lord, that we'd be able to lay down anything. And then the power of the Holy Spirit would just begin to minister to our hearts on a very deep level. And so I just want you to pray right now where you're at. Just begin to respond to the Lord. And just spend some time in prayer. And here's the thing. If you need to give your life to Jesus, you can do that right now. You can begin to walk with Him. You can pray and call out upon Him. But the only thing I would ask is that you, that you let it be made known to somebody else. It's important that when you're ready to follow Jesus, you're ready to say, I want to, I want to move with Him, that you connect with somebody, that you share it with them, that you say that. I'd love for you to come up and just share that with me. Let me pray with you. But right now, I want you to just, just take a moment. We're going to worship. And you just respond to God. You can come around this altar and pray. You can pray at your seat. But let God move in your heart. Let Him work this morning.